broadcast from an orange sidewinder, it's Lave Radio, the hottest show this side of Deso. Broadcast from an orange sidewinder and hosted by a vending machine technician, it's Lave Radio. And welcome to a live radio special. And in this live radio special, we have managed to um, scrub up the Orange Sidewinder as best we can because we have Imperial Royalty with us. We have the Senator himself, Senator Drew Wagar. Good evening, sir, and how are you? Good evening, Colin Ford, and thank you for the effusive welcome. <laughs> I'm most gratified to be here. <laughs> I'm not, doing, I'm not doing that stupid voice all evening. <laughs> Seriously, when you're writing, is that the, the voices in your head that you've got for all the Imperials? I, I do. I must admit, in some of the cases, I do have that voice playing in my head just to kind of get the kind of pomposity of the uh, the Imperial kind of language across. It does. It does help a little bit when I'm reading it out loud to sort of see where the dialogue works. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I must admit, I was always there thinking of. Um, I don't know if you know uh, an Eddie Izzard routine where he's going on about Latin, and he, oh yeah, 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 he, yeah. He, he's describing how um, people in public schools pronounce Latin as this kind of high floaty language and I'm just keep on thinking that's exactly what the Imperials sound like to me. <laughs> sort of upper class E to E type. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably that sort of received punctuation sort of uh, pronunciation stuff, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's probably perfect for them. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been the sen- I haven't been the senator for ages actually. Uh, we haven't done any of that um um it's Dockers, isn't it? That's where it all started from. Those yeah. crazy guys. Well oh <laughs> you you are aware you got killed off. I, don't, I think I think I got killed off twice actually. Twice. I think I think I might be dead at the moment though. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. You can always be brought back. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> it's one of there'll, there'll be some horrible accident with a contraceptive and a time machine, and before you know it, you'll be back. And a rubber band. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so um, yeah, well, one of the reason, well, the reason that you're here today is that um, it's finished. It's done. It's finished, thank God for that. Yes, it's finished. <laughs> Elite Premonition um, is on its way to the publishers at the moment. Is that is that correct? Yeah, it's actually... Where are we, at, where are we today? We are um, in the midst of typesetting. So it's, I finished it, which is obviously my bit um, done. Then it goes to um, editing, which is a sort of back and forwards process with an editor who basically says, is this what you really meant to say? And then he basically argues with you over the construction of your paragraphs for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes back and forth for various reasons. Then it went to Frontier for a kind of law sort of consistency check, and then it came back with a few mods to that. Um, and then it got edited again. Um, <laughs> and then it goes off to typesetting, which is basically turning it into, turning the you know, basic Word document that I basically end up with and turning it into a sort of specially formatted thing where the you know the, the the fonts are correctly spaced and and you know it's got all the 
appropriate ISBN numbers and all that kind of good stuff. So it's the sort of last stage before it actually is a book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's going on at the moment. So we're almost at the finish line then. We are almost at the finish line, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, are you in a position to... to talk about release dates or anything like that or i can't actually no no i mean frontier has sworn me to silence on this so this is a slightly old thing about it this time around compared to last time because it's not actually my book <laughs> True. <laughs> which i'm just the chap who wrote it yeah so um um the whole publishing deal is actually frontiers um bag so they've got it kind of pegged in with their publishing timetable for elite dangerous stuff mm-hmm. um and Obviously, they've got the PS4 stuff coming up shortly at the end of this month, I think, isn't it? 27th or something. Yeah. Um, and, and the book is scheduled in after that at some point, but quite when that's going to be, I'm not entirely sure. It's just we I'm pretty sure we're still pegged for summer, so I don't think it's going to be all that long because that's what we promised last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're still on track for that, but precisely when it's going to appear, I'm not sure at the moment. I haven't been told myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, no, I mean, that's fair enough. I mean... The other thing is, I mean, do you want to give... I mean, I think everybody in the elite community knows what this book's about, but for, for somebody who's just jumped in at, uh, play, let's say, PlayStation 4 level, do you want to give a, people a quick... Yeah, opening? it's it's sort of... I mean, in reality, what it is, it's it's the run-up in all sorts of ways to, um, you know, these mysterious alien you know, folks who just rocked up in the game and uh, have just been revealed, you know, just this week that it is the Thargoids coming yeah. back. So the reason the book was called Premonition, and if you look up the sort of dictionary definition of premonition, is um, a an, an ominous thing that is about to occur. And that's that's what premonition means, um, just as the word. And that's really so. It's it's all the posturing, it's all the scheming, it's all the mystery and stuff that was leading up to this point in the game. And also, obviously, all the events that the players took part in over the last probably fifteen months, I suppose, if we if we're going back that far. So I kind of the book sort of starts as the distant worlds expedition is coming back. Right. from its kind of recce to Beagle Point and co. And then, you know, the player events start getting into high gear and the, and the book chronicles the last 15 months of activity um, on a number of levels. Um, but The distant world's 15 months ago. Could it was, yeah. yeah. It, it was spring of last year. <laughs> I'm, I'm losing so track of my Elite Dangerous time. That That's even worrying. I know, it's a long time actually, isn't it? Um, and, and so I kind of use the Distant Worlds expedition as the, the event that kind of kicked off the book. Um, but, you know, you've got a bit of lore in there, obviously, from stuff that's going on and some behind-the-scenes stuff with um, power play and some behind-the-scenes stuff from the you know, the minor factions, some of the player factions and all that kind of good stuff. And obviously the um, you know, the, the background story of, of, of what was going on in the former Dine Rift all the way through that. So yeah. that's sort of the the essence of the story i suppose and obviously there's quite a few events which players took part in and and um, did yes. things in mm, no. <laughs> I mean, uh, throughout throughout the last year which um uh, some of which are reasonably notable yeah. and um yeah they will be immortalized in the um, the book as well yeah i mean does everybody know the ending now <laughs> <laughs> well that's it's it's that's part of the ending it's not well, is it the ending? It's not really the ending, no, because the um, well, I don't want to spoil it too much, obviously. Yeah, I know, um, but yeah, you know, that's part of the ending for sure, because um, it yeah, you know, that was the kind of last unknown bit as I was putting the, the end of the story together. But it's you know, she's she's part of that whole tale, but she's not the entirety of it. So you know, there's there's other stuff going on in there as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this when we when this was announced, I must admit as a bit of a part-time writer myself I just looked at what you lot had planned and I thought how the heck <laughs> would you approach that book 
I mean, was was there a point where you sort of right, I've got a story arc, and there are I don't know, like the old the old lone wolf books or um, gaming books, where you know there'd be a decision point, and you you could then work on from there, or there were there were bits of it that were like that because you kind of I mean I think some of the things like CGs you mm-hmm. tended to. You, know, you either succeed at it or you fail. So that's quite an easy one to sort of go, okay, well, we can put a CG out, and if players succeed, then this happens. If they don't succeed, then that happens. We can we can, yeah, we can design a few bits and pieces like that, and that, that certainly was one of the techniques we used. The other one was, you know, I, you know with, with all the NDAs and stuff that you get when you yeah. work on shows like this, last, last summer they basically told me what was going to happen um, at least what they had planned, <laughs> um, you know, over the next sort of year-ish up until the end of season two. Um, so I knew the outline of the events. I didn't know the specifics, but I knew the outline of the kind of things. So I thought, okay, well, we know what's going to happen. Therefore, this other stuff kind of is, is happening around the, the scenes and there's reveals here. And um, But I didn't know any of the specifics, like who was going to, you know, um, encounter you know these alien ships and how and when that was going to occur and all that kind of good stuff because you know it's it depends on what players do yeah uh, so i knew that i knew some of the potential so i could write some of those things in kind of preparation mode I, a ship meets a thargoid <laughs> and stuff happens um so i could do some of that kind of prep and just leave that to and wait and see what the actual event was and then go ah oh, okay well now i've got the details um, I can put a bit of backstory for the character in, and I can flesh out precisely what happened, and so on and so forth. Because I'd seen the, you know, the Thargoid encounter coming in, disabling the ship, and then sort of sodding off again. Yeah. Um, I'd seen that last summer, so I knew oh, was, what was players in, would. Was it in six months before? Or? It was. It was being tested back then. Oh right. Uh, so that's that's basically how I saw the test version, and um, you know I could use that. And go ah, okay, well that's a good scene, so I could write some of those sort of things in advance. Mm-hmm. So some of those events I knew would happen at some point, so I could kind of put them in the book and use them. Um, but it was basically then what I what I ended up with probably around about sort of March is is a whole load of <laughs> scenes that I then had to kind of go back through and go, ah, now I've got to knit this all together and make it look like it actually was a story. <laughs> um, which which for me was an odd way of working because I normally write to a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just could not do that this time around because I didn't know, A, what was going to happen and when. Yeah. And for the, some, some of the stuff I did know, I didn't know what order was going to happen to it. And I also didn't know what players would do in response because there were some situations where stuff would happen and we anticipated that players would do a particular thing. So I had actually written some scenes in advance thinking, oh, well, that's bound to happen. And it didn't. And it was... <laughs> really annoying um and then some players went off and did some things and i thought well that's that's odd and that's but that's quite cool and i hadn't written those at all so i had to kind of stop and go and watch what they were doing and wait until they'd finished doing it yeah and then write up that that kind of experience so there were there were quite a lot of um sort of false starts and then retracts and then so i've got this um massive folder of stuff in my elite dangerous premonition folder this file called not used <laughs> where, oh where, where yeah I had, i'd written loads and loads of stuff so for a book that is is actually quite a bit longer than um reclamation it's about another thirty thousand words longer than the first book simply because of the amount wow. of stuff that happened so it's going to be quite a chunky novel it's about one hundred and fifty-five thousand words i think i don't think you'll have many people complaining about that <laughs> well i mean for for reference elite reclamation was one hundred and twenty-two thousand. So this is 155, and that's after all the editing's been complete. So quite a lot of stuff was chopped out of it just to get it to work at a decent pace. Otherwise, it'll just, you know, it'll be Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and even so there's probably another 50k of stuff that we chopped out of it because um, we just we couldn't use it for, for various reasons because either it didn't actually happen <laughs> oh dear. or it was stuff that was cool but we kind of thought it, it it's not helping the story um, there were quite a lot of player events that I would like to have written and I you know maybe there'll be an appendix at some point you know maybe I can do that somehow um, but they weren't they didn't really help the overall story move along. Yeah, maybe so the second kind of, edition. <laughs> yeah, so they kind of ended up on the cutting room floor, which was a bit sad, really. But um, there was this wonderful one where this chap rescued a, a guy stuck, you know, God knows where. He, he sort of buckyballed across space for about 24 hours to rescue this chap. Oh, it was a fuel, um, it was a fuel rat, one of the fuel rat guys. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah, it was a brilliant, brilliant story, but I couldn't use it because it, it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> There was no way to incorporate it into the overall story, so it was, it was a bit of a shame. So, but I, you know, I've got the fuel rats in there in another capacity, so yeah, they're okay. So, <laughs> how many times did you curse the community when the plan got thrown? Oh, almost every week. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, you know, partly because um, you know, I mean, they don't know, do they? Because <laughs> they're doing what they do, which you know, it's not their fault by any stretch of the imagination. But um, there were a few things where I thought, why didn't you pick up on that? Um, which, when you're kind of in an omniscient view, is 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 quite easy to to say. But of course, when you're looking at it from the game's perspective, you're not necessarily going to notice things. So there was that kind of slight frustration. And then, as time got on, and I thought, you know, well, there's a few things in here that kind of do need to. I was anticipating them being solved a bit earlier, and they hadn't been for various reasons. Yeah. And so <laughs> to start prodding people in certain directions, <laughs> it started getting a little bit contrived in some places, which was a bit annoying because um, I didn't want it to feel contrived, but we needed certain things to happen to get other things to happen that we knew needed to happen to get yes. other things out of the way. <laughs> so yeah. it start, you start feeling like you're God. You know, you know the. Um, What's that old film with the, um, you know, the um, the Greek gods on top of the mountain? And they've got the little plastic models and they're shuffling in them around. Oh, um, <laughs> it, felt, it felt a bit like that towards the end. Um, like Clash of the Titans. The Clash of the Titans. That's the original Clash of the Titans. Yeah. yeah. So it started feeling a bit like that towards the end. Yeah. And, and and a lot of that was down to basically because we hadn't done anything like this before. You know, Frontier had you know, worked with me to various bits of content in the game, and and some of that got changed on the way through because we did some of the initial stuff and then came up with a, oh, wouldn't it be cool if? And you know, occasionally Frontier would email me with, um, we're we're considering doing this. What do you think? And some of their ideas were like, oh, that's so much better than what we've got at the moment. Should we do that? Because we haven't got to that bit yet. <laughs> Yeah. So nobody will know the difference, um, which again is a bit contrived. But at the end of the day, it's just trying to make the overall experience as good as you can. Yeah. Um, so there was there were quite a few bits and pieces in there like that too. <laughs> I mean, on the subject of cursing, um, how high <laughs> would you place the bounty on a certain commander who pretends to be a boy wizard? <laughs> well, this is this is this one's an interesting one because um, obviously there was a there was a massive amount of controversy about this, which is, is I think it's almost died down now. But it's probably safe for me to come out of the <laughs> get your head out the, the, the shell now. I think you're um, safe. I think I think I'm okay. Um, you know, was 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 that the ending I would have chosen? Absolutely not. No. Um, you know, I didn't. You know. Yeah, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have put myself in a, p- a situation where I'd have a potential copyright conflict. <laughs> I'd be buying God's name, but I do that. No. Um, and you know, we had done a lot of homework on how to put an event together because you know we'd had a conversation with Frontier early in 
April, I think it must have been, about how to kind of end this. And I was really, really keen on basically saying, look, we'll just throw the whole ending open to the community, give them a setup, and then see what happens. I didn't want to um, predict it. You know, a, a lot of people have accused me of scripting it. Yeah. And my kind of default response to that is, well, if I wanted to script it, I would have just written the damn thing. And, um, you know, that's not really, you know, the whole premise of the book was, you know, this is the elite dangerous story as written by the players as much as possible. And I'm kind of just trying to chronicle what happens. Um, but I wanted situations to be in there for people to try and take sides yeah. and, and do stuff. You know, and people afterwards, some people have said, um, um, you know, they, they were definitely out to kill Salome and other people there were definitely trying to keep her alive. Mm-hmm. And Frontier said to me, said, the only problem you've got with this is that she will die in the first five minutes. That's that's what happens in open mode. She will not survive. Are you sure that's what you want? Because it's going to be really, really short. <laughs> Yeah, well, you managed to su- and, um, surprise them, though, didn't it? She lasted well, that, a lot longer. That was that was the immediate feedback. The second one, I said, oh, and so I sent an email back saying, "Well, we've got some tactics on this. We think, um, yeah, we think are going to work. We think they're going to keep her alive." Mm-hmm. And I got an email back from that saying, "Well, uh, you know, as long as you're not cheating or combat logging." I said, "No, no, no, no. We're using all above board techniques. You know, so we will be in game. We won't cheat." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, but it will be an open mode, and yeah. they said, "Well, if you want to give it a whirl, and you're, you're, you you think you can get you, it'll work, then you know, go for it." And you know, we survived in open mode for one hour and forty-five minutes, and in many ways, um, you know, the game itself we could argue was responsible for the end because if we had some instancing problems um, for the for the wing that was defending Salome. Yeah, but the game is the game. Um, you know the the counter to that from my perspective is everybody was laboring under those conditions yeah. you know people who were trying to catch her people who were trying to save her people who were trying to get away from her whatever it was and you know what actually happened is we did get interdicted i think a total of four times by the time we were killed and each time we suffered a bit of damage yeah. and each time we got away um, we suffered a bit more damage and it was actually the cumulative damage that caused the the final kill because Salome's ship, the, the the frame shift drive would not engage at the crucial moment. Ah. It failed um, as we were trying to jump out, and, um, and Mr. Potter um, was very well equipped at that point to bring the shields down, disable the the damage drive anyway, which meant that we had no chance of escape. And um, you know the the result of that point was a bit of a foregone conclusion. But she went down fighting in the sense that she was battered and bruised by that point. Yeah. And from a narrative perspective, you know she dies a sort of a sort of Martha's death, um, which actually for me as a writer is quite quite good useful way to have a character go down. Especially so. <laughs> if uh, people are saying, "When are we having a sequel?" And I say, "Well, you can't really, can you?" <laughs> Well, not for not for her, and it depends on whether you see that as a um, was reclamation the story of Salome or was it the story of the Formidine Rift? And and the same with Premonition. You're going to have to wait and see till you read it. What what was it actually about? Was it about her? Was it about something else? Yeah, she's certainly a major character, that's for sure. But just because a major character dies, doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the story. Yeah. So. You know, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, I mean, one of the writer's slogans is kill your darlings. I mean, you've said that to me often enough. But, I mean, yeah. how do you feel about someone else killing your darlings for you? <laughs> I mean, I... I... It's... It it was very odd actually. The when when she died, the the moment she died, there was, you know, there was there was absolute fury from the escorting team. And yeah, my reaction to it was, oh my god, um, 
that was not what I was expecting. You know, I, we were so close. We were six jumps away from the destination. We really thought at that point our confidence was really high. Um, and we thought we are actually going to make this against all the odds and everyone telling us we'd get cream straight away because we aren't, you know, the, the group I was with, the, the children were actually not hardened PVP types. Um, they'd done a lot of practice, a lot of work. And um, we really didn't think we were going to make it at the start. We thought we'd, you know, we'd do our best, but the, we, we really didn't think we were going to make it. But by that point, we were kind of like, this, 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 we can do this, guys. <laughs> and oh, then no. it all went wrong in about, you know, two or three minutes. And um, suddenly we were dead. Uh, well, Slowmy was dead. And then you know, the guys were furious. And then was, there was shock and um, silence across the various feeds. And then there was a, I actually heard tears in the background. I know. Um, and yeah, there was a debrief. You know, after about an hour or so, I kind of got the guys <laughs> together and just everyone worked so hard and did so well. And there were just you know people you know, literally crying with emotion at the end of the you know the event because they had so much invested in it and felt that they'd you know they were they were going back over the decisions and you know doing this that and the other and kind of talking to themselves. Yeah. Uh, but um, so there was a lot of emotion in there. From my perspective, I felt. Um, I did feel a bit guilty, actually. It was a very strange reaction. The following day, I felt as if I'd been accomplice to a murder. <laughs> <laughs> In, I mean, not, not seriously, seriously, but, you know, there was a very strange feeling of guilt that I kind of, you know, maybe I shouldn't have let her die. Maybe I should never put her at risk in the first place. I said, hang on, this is a fictional character. <laughs> it doesn't actually exist at all. Um, but, you know, it was, um, it was a very strange set of emotions that kind of went on. And the, I mean, the evening was the flight for the two hours that we were out there was was probably the most stressful thing I can remember <laughs> doing um, because it was constant, constant threat. And we were playing, I was playing it with a big screen monitor and my kids were, um, you know, running kind of buckyball beside me. They were, they were playing alongside in my anaconda mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and they were having a ball just mucking about and killing people and trying to stop them getting interdicting us. Mm-hmm. Their instructions have basically been interdict anybody who looks like they're going to interdict us. That was that was basically their brief. So they were having an absolute ball. But from my perspective, we were just trying to stay alive. And every system we jumped into was swarming with, you know, player commanders. Yeah. And a few of them we knew um, and recognized from, um, you know, from our list of friendlies. But, you know, most of the time it was, you know, jump into a system, eyes on the VIP um, hostile commander is it hostile don't know jump 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 get the hell out of here and it was like that for <laughs> an hour and 45 minutes and it was really really stressful <laughs> um, and yeah. as the, as the ship started getting damaged and the frame shift drive wouldn't engage when we needed to you know the stress level just ramped up so it was it was it was debilitating i was i was completely exhausted by the evening no way uh, no way ma then <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. oh. uh, so um but yeah, mistake. It, was, <laughs> it was it was it was it was it was um it was intense it really was intense and then obviously to you know fail at the you know the kind of very close to the end in that way for for her character mm-hmm. uh, fortunately about 10 minutes before we'd had the word that some of the other guys had got through so i was able to kind of kick off the you know the other bit of the reveal for for that evening which meant that the you know the overall message got out so the game could kind of continue but we were so confident that we were going to make it as well and Slimmy had her speech already to go and yeah. <laughs> we never got to deliver it so oh, I know. Um, was that the speech that the that the truckers recovered or uh, was that is that no, something that we'll never hear so the, yeah no so the truckers quite you know um, wrote that um, 
you know, and it was just, uh, you know, it kind of wasn't official, really, because I don't, I don't think Salome probably is a poet. Fair enough. <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, it was so beautifully done. I thought, oh, you know, guys, that's that's just the sort of thing that you know, it would be lovely to have as a kind of requiem. So yeah, you go for it. I thought that was really nicely put together by the guys and read it out as well. So you know, it was, um, it was a lovely piece. Yeah, you know, touching sort of. Um, you know, way to sign off really for, for Salome so that was lovely <laughs> I mean the, there has been complaints in the community that um, I mean I don't know if you've heard about this engineering uh, exploit that people have been using for I did yeah months. I heard about this only the last couple of weeks yeah, yeah. so um, apparently um, a vast amount of the PvP community have been accused of um, using this cheat in order to mod their ships to the absolute maximum yeah. and um, Saul uh, as asked, I mean, how do you feel about the, the fact that the killer may have used this cheat mode? Does that mean that she could have, she could survive now because the guy cheated? I don't believe it would have made a great deal of difference. I mean, I obviously can't prove that now um, because the the damage to Salome's ship was cumulative. We we avoided, um, I say, we we got interdicted um, a number of times and managed to get away with the you know basically just ran for it yeah. um salome's ship was actually quite well engineered we'd built it for um um basically for speed so it could run if it did get interdicted and it had very highly engineered shields it had a prismatic um shield generator with some reasonably good rolls on it actually i think it was um quite a long way up the kind of um list of you know how high that can be and i must admit i'm not all that okay with the the levels but the guys had engineered it quite well so it had very strong shields it was designed to be lightweight so it could jump a reasonable distance and uh, basically it could run so it had very light um weaponry yeah um, and nothing else aboard basically other than a fuel scoop you know a really good fuel scoop so it was basically designed to run it was designed to buckyball all the way from the start to the end as fast as it could mm-hmm. um with and the the Basically, the message I'd been given at the beginning was if we get interdicted, we're dead. So we need to avoid interdiction. So my brief, basically, as the pilot was to don't get interdicted. Um, and, you know, um, and if you do get interdicted, fight the interdiction rather than submitting. Yes. Because, um, you know, if you're caught in the same instance as a, with an experienced PvP player, you're probably going to die. So interdiction was death was the mantra. And, and our strategy, basically, was don't get interdicted, just run. And the escort team were there to interdict anybody who looked like they were going to interdict us if that makes sense yes completely because does. if you're inter- if you're being interdicted you can't interdict somebody else mm. um so that was one of the you know one of the strategies we'd employed um but what we're doing well, one of the other strategies that we had was to avoid um interdiction was to to use emergency drops yes um you know to kind of throw our pursuers off the tail so what we could do is do an emergency drop um, boost away from the drop location before they were able to turn around and you know low wake low wake into where you were yeah and then um, by the time they found us hopefully we'd got out of the kind of immediate range of the instance and uh, they would never locate us again and we could cool down and jump you know from there onwards that was that was kind of one of the other tactics we used um, the problem with that cumulatively over uh, 800 light years um, without being able to stop for repairs is that you get module damage mm-hmm and that was basically, ultimately, I think, what killed us, um, is that we exhausted an entire AF, AMFU yep. um, in repairs, um, and we couldn't get anywhere Without, to go yeah. fill that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually the damage to the ship became so much that the FSD began to fail, and that really was when we started having trouble because we could not 
get away, even though we'd evaded the um, immediate interdiction and boosted away. Um, when Harry Potter did catch up to us, we tried to activate the FSD. It failed, and at that point, um, you know, we tried to turn and fight, but yeah, <laughs> we were seriously outmatched by that point. And um, unfortunately, we also suffered from um, some of the blue screeny um, inability to lock onto the instance for the rest of the wingmen. So we didn't get the reinforcements in until two minutes after the, you know, the interdiction was successful. By which point. Um, we were effectively on our last leg, so you know some things conspired against us. But that's that's the game. It is. Did the engineering exploit change that? I don't think so, because we evaded interdiction from a cutter, from memory, um, uh, a corvette, and an asp. I think they were the ones that successfully interdicted me, mm-hmm. um, flying a slow me, and um, we got away from them. Although we did come under fire, mm-hmm. um, so you know we we felt we'd 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 made quite a good fist of it. It just unlucky at the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, I think I think we'll we'll move away from that painful episode. <laughs> um, personally, I mean, I was listening in on on, on most of the stuff, and of course the the live radio we did a, uh, a, oh, a retrospective. The, the yeah. yeah. And, no, that was good. That was and good. I must admit, it's sort of the guys that were involved, you could tell how emotionally um, upset they were by the whole thing. I mean, does it does it feel good to have actually had that kind of effect on the community, even though some of the effect has been negative? It, I mean, it yeah, did I mean, galvanise everybody, didn't it? It did, yeah. I mean, people were very vociferous um, in advance of the event, um, I got a lot of emails saying, how dare you put a character at risk? And it's like, really? <laughs> I really wasn't sure how to answer some of those emails because it's like, you know, guys, it's, you know. Made up. She's, yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't want to say it's a game, but you know what I mean? It's, I um, know. Um, <laughs> um, and so, you know, so some of that was going on. And I got loads of kind of tweets and emails in advance saying, we're forced, let me know we're going to try and kill her. So, you know, people were choosing sides and factions based on, you know, based on the stuff. Um, and um, it's interesting, actually, I got a lot of criticism after the event for the way the event was constructed. Um, and um, but I didn't get any of that in advance. No. So despite the way that, you know, the FAQ was on my website and, you know, it had been pretty clear how the event was going to work, you know, certainly in the last couple of weeks before it actually happened. Yeah. Uh, and obviously Frontier rolled out a, you know, a kind of an emergency patch to fix some um, infinite ammo. Yeah, <laughs> well, that would have been quick, um, So, you know, some of that stuff, um, you know, yeah, they, they pulled out some stops to get that fixed because we didn't really want to change the date because of um, various other things that Frontier had lined up and I had lined up. So they didn't want me to change the date. Um, so I had to make calls on, should I change the date? Because if we change the date, then it screws up everybody who's already involved. And, you know, there's babysitters and arrangements and God knows what, because everyone's had the date booked for, for such a long time. So um, we really didn't want to change the date. But when we came across the bug, it was touch and go whether Frontier would be able to fix that in time, and they did manage to get that out, mm. um, fortunately for us. So there was, there was a lot of stuff like that going on, which was obviously quite tense as well, just in terms of the actual construct of the of the event. And then, um, you know, the way it, it it transpired, and then there was kind of, uh, you know, it's been it's been deliberately designed so she dies, yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, and kind of all that sort of stuff. Um, 
Sorry, you were going to say. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to ask. I mean, you did say that. I mean, this was did seem more stressful than the actual Kickstarter starter with within the Kickstarter for Reclamation, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, it was. It was very, very stressful at the time. The thing is, during the Kickstarter, I got loads and loads of quite vitriolic emails saying, "You are trying to derail the Elite Dangerous Kickstarter. You're a fraud. You're just trying to steal money from Frontier." Um, you know, this is a Ponzi scheme, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the reaction to my Kickstarter for my original book was, I guess I think I was, I don't actually think I was the first one to try it, but I think I was the one that kind of grabbed all the attention, at least on the early days of, of the books. No, I, th- I think uh, you were the first person to put it up, and then everybody... Was it, was, I can't remember now. It's, it's, it's all going a bit <laughs> oh, God, is it that long ago? <laughs> it is. It's five years ago now. It will be five years at the end of this year. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, so I got a lot of, you know, I actually got one death threat, can you believe? I actually had to report it. Um, and I got one death threat over the Kickstarter. Um, and you think, you know, people really, really do get a little bit OTT about this stuff. And, you know, I get it's a passionate community and you've got to, if you're going to put yourself in the limelight, you're going to have to, you know, develop a reasonably thick skin. But um, this time around, I got a lot of vitriolic stuff, not so much over the um, the way... You know, well, quite quite a lot over the fact that she died and that that was my fault and I should never have done that. And I shouldn't have, you know, I got a lot of people saying, I will not buy your book because I, now I know that she's dead. Then you support the ending, which was sort of a creative choice, I suppose, which I can kind of get. Um, but why would a death of a character that you know is going to die necessarily ruin a story? I'm not quite sure I get that, but, you know, Maybe I can kind of appreciate that. But a lot of the criticism was obviously around the way the event was structured. Yeah. And my responsibility for, you know, the way some of the community behaved during the event. Um, and, um, you, know, I, you know, I can't control what the community does. You know, if you set up an event and some people turn up and behave in a certain way, there's, there's only so much you can do. <laughs> no, because um, I, I know exactly the point you were meaning, because there's an awful lot of um, vitriol aimed at, not, not your group, but there, there was the, um, the second group who were insisting that uh, anybody who doesn't have weapons... Yes, uh, you mustn't come safe. along. You, you, yeah. you know, you, you, had to, you had to disarm, basically, didn't you? They yeah. were, that's what they were saying. Now, they, they did not have my blessing to do that. Mm. Um, and I popped into the Discord on a number of occasions saying, guys, you know, just, just tone it down. This is, this is designed to be an inclusive community event. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I, I tried. Um, but I, you know, the, the, the organization of the groups that wanted to take part and, and you know, the people who self-appointed themselves in charge... Um, you know, I, I, the, I, a, I, they, they didn't take any instructions from me, and B, I didn't have any <laughs> sanction on them, no, because I couldn't stop them. Um, you know, that is the elite dangerous community, for good or for ill. That's what it's made of. <laughs> um, and um, you know, it showed its bright and its dark side. I think, I, in, yeah. in, in the course of that event. Yeah, I must, I must admit. I mean, I was on, I was on that Discord server. I mean, I saw your messages come through. Uh, but oh, it it was it was a very no tense. When I mean, we tried to talk people down, it didn't yeah. seem to work. It it just seemed to make things worse. And uh, and I don't know if that's uh, you know I, I you know I, I, it'd be interesting to discuss this. Cause I'm looking forward to discussing this you know face to face with people a little bit you know as we go through the year because I don't know if that's 
has the community changed or has just the number of people who are now in the community changed the kind of overall feel of that community mm. did we encounter some frustration over the game itself did we encounter some frustration over the you know that i inadvertently kind of popped a bubble because of the way that i constructed the event because mm -hmm. you know it was a choice i didn't have to do it in open mode i could have just written the ending to my book and ignored everybody you know that's the simplest route um i did consider a sort of private law group yeah. for people who wanted to play the law but when we thought about that you know we know that mobius got infiltrated anyway we'd have yeah. to manage the admin of that and we thought well, that's just going to be a nightmare how do we know anyway whether somebody's telling the truth it just does, just doesn't work all we're doing is putting a wall in front of people and we were aiming initially for kind of maximum inclusivity that was the objective yeah. um so yeah, you know, what were those choices naive in you know in hindsight well i wouldn't do it the same way now <laughs> but the, the problem with doing something for the first time is you simply don't know True. um and you know i you know one thing i will say for myself if if i'm going to blow my own trumpet a bit is i like to try new things that's why i did the original kickstarter and because uh, everyone told me that won't work you're not allowed to do it yeah so i just sort of asked myself well why and you know everybody said no she'll be dead in five minutes you don't survive in open mode well that's that's that we've proved that to be wrong you can survive um she didn't make it all the way but she made it 80 percent of the way so you know with a bit of better planning and perhaps a better ship design um we might have made it and, and a bit more luck with the instance. and a bit more luck yeah <laughs> And, you know, I've also had some criticism of, you know, you shouldn't have tried an event like that um, in Elite Dangerous because its its, it's design isn't up to it. And I thought, well, I, I personally, yeah, you might as well not do anything then. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is the logical fallacy out of that one. So um, it's, a, it's, a bit, it's a bit defeatist, isn't it? That's, I suppose, my thinking. Yeah. I mean, I, I do know that the community has changed from, from when we originally all were involved in the Kickstarter. I, th I think the community, yeah. because, because it's got a lot bigger... And it's attracted a lot more people. The atmosphere that we know has, as I guess, as old forum dads. <laughs> yes, I suppose that's what we are now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> as old timers, our eighty-fourers. Um, I think the community has changed to be a, a lot more critical. I think you got wrapped up a little bit with the the whole rigmarole with the three point two, and because yeah. your stuff came out about the three point two, that that seemed to catalyze a lot of. Uh, frustration, which I don't think it really deserved from my personal point of view. But um, on, going forward, I'm, I, I'm hoping that Frontier are going to be able to manage the situation a bit because it, it does feel a lot more. It, they it can't feels do very right. Yeah, it does feel a bit volatile, doesn't it? I mean, I was watching the um, you know the live streams that Ed put on this week, mm. and um, again, I th you know. Yeah, there are a few lessons for those guys to learn there as well. I think in terms of communication, but it's very, very difficult. Um, because, and I, I have huge sympathy for for them trying to do that sort of stuff because it is so complicated to organise. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't look like it from the outside because you just oh, you just stick a few assets in the game, you get a few people to line up, and then you just open it up, and and there you go. What's what's difficult about that? But the organisation that's required to get a you know, even this relatively simple, almost binary choice case of story into the game, um, with all the you know all the wackiness that the game can throw at you on its you know, on its own, plus all the players, plus all the um, you know all the other stuff, it, it's frighteningly hard to organise. Um, 
you know, if 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 you told me how difficult it had been going into it, I would never have done it because it's, it's it, <laughs> it was a nightmare <laughs> from beginning to end, and all sorts of unforeseen problems crop up, um, and stuff where you think, well, I've got to make a call on that, and neither of them are, are, are options that you think of are actually, you know, nice options. You just have to kind of decide what's the lesser of the two evils, and there's quite a lot of stuff in there, um, and um, you know, it, it is it is very very hard to do right and you're at the mercy of um you know all sorts of variables that you can't control and then you know somebody can instantly just stick a forum post up now the crap (laughs) without without any real understanding of what the hell you were trying to do or how much effort you put in and you know people have accused me of it it's um you know you're all you're doing you just did an event and you're hyping your book um and yeah that's a cynical view but yeah i can i can see where people are coming from um but you know from my perspective it was you know i um with with reclamation i think i only broke even on book sales against the kickstarter fees about two and a half years after i wrote the book and if you count all the money i spent going to conventions you know just in terms of train tickets and hotels i mean i'll never break even so you know (laughs) um you know it's not done for financial gain it's done to try and say you know wouldn't it be cool if we had a book and we had some adventures in the game and some cool stuff happened that that's really the only motivation um and i think it's it's cynical and it's unfair to to say otherwise because you know you don't have the full facts at your disposal um Mm. these are not these are not lucrative things if i wanted to make money i would not spend you know spend my time sitting down writing a book on the lead (laughs) it's just it's a complete non-starter from a financial perspective um you know, it is done for it's it's done for love of writing and love of the game and hopefully entertaining a few people with the story. And if you had fun in any level along the way, then you know, you know, there was success. Exactly, yeah. that that's the objective. <laughs> well, I mean, moving back to the actual game itself, I mean, the Fordermen Rift mystery itself in the game that caused yep. that that was um, caused a lot of community attention, and the the, the Rifters. Um, I must admit, uh, they were a fun bunch to work with. Um, they're, they're, they're cool, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And had some, they had some fantastic ideas, many of which were much better than mine. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, following that, I mean, that took um, what three, four months from two point two to two point three to really resolve. I mean, yep. did that actually fit the plan? Did, was it too slow, or did they eat the content too quickly? Um, it was a it was a mixture of all sorts of things that some some of them worked some of it went wrong. Um, mm. There were there were bugs that really delayed the progress when I really could have done without it being delayed. Yeah, um, which actually caused me I think a, almost a four week delay while they fixed the bugs. The problem with the thing I think some so, of the um, yeah approaching the planet some of the, the bases that's right and it yeah. just crashed to desktop didn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and it took them a while to figure out. And when they did figure it out, it was a I think a client side update was required rather than the server side one. Yeah. So that I just got a you know a, a apologetic phone call actually. It did actually ring me up and say, "Sorry, Drew, we actually have a proper problem with this one. We can't fix it fast, uh-huh. um, and um, it, it's going to have to wait to the next client side update, and that means it's a, a delay." Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know they were very up straight up about it, and uh, there was nothing we could do about it other than um, 
you know, I had to quickly change some of the Galnet articles I was about to put out and write a new one, which basically said some curious phenomenon or something <laughs> has <laughs> happened out in the darkness. And we're getting reports of ships disappearing. And yeah, I can't remember what I wrote now, but, um, you know, you have to adapt to some of those things on the fly. And that, that you know, throws a spanner into your works in terms of your timing and your scheduling. That's why some of the later Rift content felt a bit kind of like, guys, guys, over there, over there, quick, look over there, because yeah. we were running out of time because some of the other delays that we'd incurred. Um, and, um, you, know, I, you know, the the stuff that was related to Premonition had to, if you like, get out of the way of the other narrative that obviously is coming. Yes. So these things had to be sequenced. Yeah. Um, because otherwise they'd delay other things and that, that wouldn't be acceptable either. So, you know, trying to hold together a narrative of events that is, you know, is impacted by what players do, but also is impacted when the game doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just, you know, it was, it was a nasty, messy project plan. You know, you know, your Gantt charts and you've got your key dependency paths and all that sort of stuff. It, oh, yeah. it was like that. It was, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> So it was more, it was more kind of chaotic project planning. It was a book at that point. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, uh, people were, were were which stumped a lot of people was that they, they resorted to brute force scanning planets for the Fordman Rift bases. Now, yes, did people actually miss a clue that would have taken them straight to the base? They or missed. Uh, they did miss a clue that will take them to um, some of the bases. Yes, some of the bases weren't marked because we. Um, we, we kind of had a view that, you know, some of the content would therefore last a bit longer because what we'd seen with some of the stuff that Canon had gone through yeah. was that, um, you know, the encryption stuff was dead fairly early on because it's, um, we looked at it and basically said, well, you know, people can just crack the encryption now. There's so many tools online yeah. that the moment you get the key, then it just disintegrates. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of did it in reverse. I gave the key as the kind of, um, you know, the actually kind of the fake clue. Yes. Oh, <laughs> try and, you, try and confuse people, people. You're going to have people screaming after you because <laughs> I, I got a sneaky suspicion where you're going to go with this. <laughs> so, um, you know, so actually the you know the encryption key was actually a, almost not quite a red herring because it, 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 it would lead you in, a, in the right direction, but it wasn't the clue. And there were other clues embedded in the Galnet posts that um, um, people hopefully will be able to put two and two together at some point. I have promised I will write it up at some point. Yeah. Um, once, once, you know, kind of all the spoilers are out there um, in the, and everyone's read the book and yeah. I've got all the bits and pieces and then I can explain how it, how it was designed to link together. Um, but um, it basically was, um, you know, the, the, the idea being that um, the powers that be and, and various people who were involved in that conspiracy were using Greek mythology to kind of send each other messages. Yeah. And obviously the players had stumbled across some of these and therefore could decode them. Um, and the idea being that once you assembled all those Greek mythological figures together, it's built out the location um, yeah. of the final kind of reveal. That, that was how the, how the mystery was supposed to work. Um, but unfortunately, for various reasons, those um, some of the um, there was actually um, I had to go back and fix it. There was a typo in one of the clues, oh. Oh. <laughs> which went wrong. And I didn't spot it straight away, so I had to go back and fix that. And then um, we had to give a supplementary clue because of the delays in and various things. And the problem with the delays is it throws the rhythm of the story. Yes. So some people are going, ah, oh, there's a clue, there's a clue, boom, there's a clue. And if you miss one. Mm -hmm then you almost lose the flow of what you were kind of looking for. Um, and some of the bugs in the game, unfortunately, did throw that as well. Yeah. So it, you know, it, it, 
it didn't hang together quite as I had hoped it would, but um, yeah, we got there in the end, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because one of the things that, I mean, because I didn't go out to the rift, I, um, I got asked by a couple of the guys there, listen, can you go around some of the, the old world systems and look through their galnets and their yep. notices in order to try and find us uh, some clues? And I, I couldn't find a thing. So was it just the main galnet, or was it actually in the local system? No, there, there, were some, there were some local galnets which would have helped, um, oh, and there still God. are, I think, some um, some local um, touristy law beacons that um, will also point in various directions as well. So, and 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 certainly there, there are some there that are not. Uh, I've looked at them, and gone. Well, I didn't put that one in, but that one looks a little bit odd. Um, so I think there are some other little signposts embedded in those law, those touristy law beacons in the core kind of worlds that have have, have got little signposts that um, I don't think people have followed yet. Oh, um, I'd like to apologise to the rifters for not being good enough <laughs> to spot them. <laughs> no, so it, it wasn't really that. I mean, there were definitely, um, you know, there were, there were certain things I would have done differently in hindsight, having seen the way players reacted to things. And it's, it's fascinating when you are um, kind of on the other side of the magic curtain, if you like, because some things you think, oh, they're going to get that straight away. That's too obvious. Um, you put that in, and and it sits there for like months, and people don't get it, and you're kind of looking, it's so close, no, 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 don't say that. And you got off on the tangent. You're kind of watching the forums, trying to go, no, you were so close and stuff. I mean, the final one that we did for the just the location of where the start point was for the Salome event, the little code that we stuck in. I thought that I thought it was trivial. I thought someone would instantly get it, and it went on for like three weeks. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 guys, you really are overthinking this. It's not, it's not that difficult. And um, yeah, and, no, um, that, you know, and I, what I'd done is I, I wanted to have a code that wasn't kind of Googleable. Yeah. So if you typed it into Google, you'd get nothing. I also wanted a code that if you stuck it into these online decryption things, it wasn't going to help you either. I didn't want it to be brute forceable. I wanted people to have a think about it. Yeah. Um, but I think I, <laughs> I think what happened is people did think about it and kind of went straight past it because it wasn't actually as complicated as everyone thought it was. Yeah, and a lot of the other things were like that, actually. But I was trying to avoid encrypty puzzles, and I was trying to avoid Googleable puzzles, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and I... it, it you know, was, a, was a treasure hunt, ultimately, um, you know, you, you were ultimately following clues that would eventually lead you here's X on the map and off you go. That that's that's what I'd written in the form of because that's really all I had time to do. Mm. Um, couldn't make it any more sophisticated than that. And there was only so much dev time Frontier could spare for me to do that aspect of the story. So basically, once I knew what my limitations were, the amount of time I had, and the number of times Frontier were prepared to be able to drop something in the game for me, um, that 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 set the you know the the scale of the how big the mystery could be really yeah i mean the, the i mean there was a little bit of uh, complaint about when it was finally uh, resolved i mean personally i was quite happy to see the mega ship and especially the voice acted logs but yeah. i mean was there always a spaceship at that location there was always a uh, there was there was always something there yes yep cuz you know that that was one of the it was it was cool. it was a lot less sophisticated um you know Certainly, right back at the beginning, it was very, very trivial um, because, because um, yeah, I mean, Front has done this on a number of things. They, they kind of will put something in, mm-hmm. um, and um, if people don't kind of go with it, they don't develop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, we've kind of seen that a bit with things like CQC, and we've seen that a bit with, um, you know, PowerPlay. But it's sort of they put it in, but if it, yeah, if it doesn't it, get traction, it's not, drag- it's not dragging the attention. Now, what happened with the? The format on Rift was I put the 
I think there's a somewhere deep in the writers' forum there'll there'll be a post, um, you know, basically saying you know things to dump in the galaxy that connect up to your books. Michael Brooks put it up, I think, yeah. from memory. I mean, it's been back such a long time now; it's getting a bit hazy. But um, said, yeah, if you want to have things in there, and so you know there were references to you know the various novels, and I think. John Harper put in about the Suntil planet and, and various other bits and pieces. And I put um, some description in about Prism. And then I said, uh, it'd be really cool to have sort of a, a Raxler-esque type thing in the game. Yeah. And so we had a bit of brief conversation about it. And they said, you know, we'll put, you know, put some vague clues in. You know, the real Ridquat line was something. I don't think I actually came up with that. I can't remember whose idea that was. But um, um, as, as Reclamation was being written, we put that in. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, um, you know, there was a there was, there was a, a you know something at the at the end of that line in a in a particular location uh, based upon that, and and the former nine rift mystery was 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 kind of designed to be this sort of vague conspiracy of of stuff, but some of the details didn't get fleshed into a little bit later on once we found that people had spotted it and actually gone looking for it, um, and so at that point, um, you know, after the book had been published. And you know, a, pe- a few people have picked up on it. Then um, you know, it it it, it got more, more sophisticated later on. And then actually, the um, mega ship was a relatively late swap over for what was there previously, because Frontier basically said, "We you know, we've got one of these mega ships. Would you like that instead of what we've already got there?" Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, and by the way, um, it will be the first instance of voice acting in the game. How how does that sound? It's like, how cool is that? <laughs> Yes, please. Um, so you know, the, and you know, they did a fantastic atmospheric job with it. So, um, is it was was that a bit contrived? I, you know, it. I suppose it is. I mean, that's you know, if you're absolutely fair, it's you know, it, it is a little bit of if the players take an interest in something, then it, it gets some attention. And uh, you know, Frontier has limited time, and um, you know, I I built that into the proposition that I'd sent to them back in you know, at the end of the reclamation when first the sequels were being discussed and also you know when we started talking about premonitions so um yeah it's one of those you know kind of damned if you do damned if you don't things really if i'd left it as it was right at the beginning it would have been very <laughs> very naff and i think people would have been quite kind of oh is that it yeah. um and um because you know all you would have got is a, a effectively a bit of text um and you know faced with the choice of saying do you want to improve upon that but keep the essence of the story the same which was the idea then you know the obvious thing to do was to improve it i must admit there were after the, the location of the mega ship was revealed I, I did notice a couple of commanders going i was only five light years away <laughs> people are gone and that but was over a year space, ago before. space is big isn't it yeah yeah it's um um, yeah, I, mean, I always said I think I'm on record someone on the forum saying I, I just hope you know, in some ways I just hope somebody stumbles across it because they're just going to go what the hell was that because yeah. um, at that point it was going to be well it doesn't make any sense what, 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 what who's this person and what's all this and so some of the other stuff happening actually made it a bit more interesting in the way it did work out um, but um, you know it would have been quite cool um, if somebody had just wandered in and gone oh <laughs> Have this and this thing in the depths of space. How weird is that? Yeah. Um, 
but um and and david braben's been on record as saying there are other things that i mean i don't know what they are because i'm not privy to all the in-game secrets by any stretch of the imagination but um there are supposed to be other things like that out there so you know maybe people will just randomly stumble over things in the in the darkness at, at, at certain times so you know if they do i think that'd be quite cool yeah i know michael brooks has mentioned that raxler is out there but they're not going yeah. to tell you where not to give any clues at all yeah no you'll just find it <laughs> maybe one day yeah which I think is nice. Yeah, we need that sort of stuff in the game. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you've only got the entire Milky Way galaxy to search. <laughs> it's 400 billion stars, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to take very long. <laughs> I think that really covers everything so far. So we've got a whole load of little, um, little questions to from from the community to. Yeah, I mean, to far, far away. That's fine. So, and, yep. and have you multi-crewed yet? Yes, I've done quite a bit of multi-crew actually. My kids love it because they can i've got an anaconda mm-hmm. um on one of my accounts my main account my actually my kickstarter one i think it is and um yeah one i've had the longest basically and we've got this anaconda with beam weapons yes. and um oh sorry turreted beam weapons should i say and um you know a a, a kind of ship launch fighter mm-hmm. so basically my youngest son josh um is is mr turret man and um, my other son flies the, you know, the ship launch fighter until we run out of printable fighters. <laughs> um, so, and so yeah, so... we go, we we just muck about in conflict zones and you know, res sites and stuff like that, and actually just have a blast. It's quite nice for them because they don't they they play so many different games that yeah. their time on Elite Dangerous is relatively limited. So they've still got kind of quite crappy early ships. So it's <laughs> quite a nice way for them to earn a bit of cash without any risk to them at all. And my anaconda is fairly well kind of specced up and engineered now so if you wander into a high you know a res zone or a conflict zone it, it, it can pretty much handle itself and actually with multi-crew it's pretty much near invincible because you know i've got a massive i think a massive um huge multi-cannon on the front which i just sort of pummel away at ships with by actually flying the ship and then josh has got three beam lasers i think three large beam lasers on top and one underneath or something and he just you know merrily shoots everything that comes his way so we have a we have quite a good blast because we've actually got a study where we've got three elite dangerous capable computers now so we can kind of all sit alongside each other and just have a bit of a have, have a bit of fun and it, it works quite well in that scenario so yeah it's great fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i must admit we've we've found out them we when you get a crew that works together and communicates it multi-crew is quite a a bit of a laugh. It is, it is fun. Yeah. yeah, but now that you've said that your anaconda is near and vulnerable, you've just thrown the gauntlet down <laughs> for everybody else. Now you do realise that. <laughs> we do generally play in, um, you know, in a private group. For those I must admit, I'm not. Um, I, I, I occasionally venture into. <laughs> I, I occasionally venture into open, but uh, I'm not. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not really a PvPer. I have to say. Yeah. Um, Soul asks, um, how much. Uh, can you say how much of the Rift, Destiny, Exodus story was left with FDev? Um, will there be more to come? Well, obviously, I mean, there's the Thargoid stuff. That, yeah, there's a, the, yeah, there's um, there's um, plenty of scope there for all sorts of things. There are some bits and pieces which are kind of on the, um, if you like, on the on the on the on the scripted but kind of to be done a decision pending depending on what happens next. So Frontiers rolled that sort of stuff into the narrative stuff they're doing with the Thargoids um, because obviously the Thargoids are now kind of seem to be out there and seem to be hostile and yeah, heading this way kind of thing. Um, but the response within the core worlds in you know, the Federation, the Alliance and the Empire and this weird organisation that's been trying to do stuff you know, in the background for a long, long time to get us kind of almost like ready for this invasion, yep. um, they're still there. And they're still active. 
So that story hasn't run its course, if you like. Yes. Uh, you know, Salome, if you like, exposed them, but um, you know they're, they're they're still there. So um, and they're still in charge. <laughs> so they they will have more to do, and you know, we'll we'll see. Um, you know, is that something that I'm actively doing at this point in time? No, it's not because I'm I'm busy doing other things now. Um, so the last. The last Galnet article I put together, I think, was the one where basically I reported Salome died. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's kind of back to frontier for their bit of the narrative, if you like. Um, and then depending on where that goes and how players respond to the Thargoids and what happens next is, um, you know, we'll, we'll see whether, um, you know, there's scope to be involved again. But, yeah. um, you know, I did that very much because I was writing a book and I wanted the game events to kind of dovetail with it. Um you know, if Frontier says, you know, an opportunity to write another book, then, you know, I'll, I'll have a think about it. <laughs> I'm not sure about that at the moment, um, you know, based on what's just happened. But, um, you know, but, you know, I'm very conscious there are lots of other authors out there. There's the original Kickstarter authors, obviously, who, you know, arguably deserve another shot if they want to do sequels. There's also, um, you know, plenty of, you know, folks like yourself and, and many others who um, are writers, understand the universe really, really well, and perhaps deserve a shot at doing that kind of stuff as well. So, you know, if, if Frontier basically says to me, no, we'd, we'd, we'd like somebody else to, to do a book the next time around, I'd be absolutely and utterly happy about that. <laughs> so, I, I don't know at this point whether I'll have um, you know, a significant tangible impact on the game narrative again um, at this point. Um, you know, it's sort of up to frontier, really. So, um, and, yeah. and I have plenty of stuff to keep me busy <laughs> in the meantime. So, well, um, yeah. Okay. Um, quickly, tea or coffee? Oh, tea. Um, definitely. Yeah. yeah Afternoon. Yeah. Wouldn't, tea. wouldn't oh. expect anything else from an imperial. Uh, cake <laughs> or pie? <laughs> cake. Oh, definitely. Let them eat cake. Absolutely. <laughs> With, brown, with tea, preferably. <laughs> brown or red sauce on bacon sandwiches? Oh, actually, no. I am partial to brown sauce. Oh, you're dead. To um, me. You're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> I may have just blown the gaff. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's kind of a big one here. I mean, can you name your favourite authors or, or or books? I mean, how long have you got, oh, Mister Soul? Um, yeah. Well, favourite author has to be um, Daphne du Maurier for the book Rebecca um, and there's a couple of reasons for that one it's a fantastic book but it's also just delightfully written it's, it's one of the, probably the best written books I think I can think of as a you know if, if you want to write well that's that's a great example and and the reason my kind of character Rebecca in you know Olite and Elite Dangerous is called Rebecca is just a kind of little homage to that book um, so Daphne, Daphne du Maurier um, and the book Rebecca um, and oddly enough, if if you haven't read that book, it's definitely worth a read. It's not. It's obviously not sci-fi. It's a. It's a sort of. Um, it's a weird kind of um, semi-ghost story, stroke romance, stroke. Um, it, it's quite, quite a weird story actually, because the actual character Rebecca is actually not alive. <laughs> she sort of haunts the characters that are in it. It's quite a weird story, but it's 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 really really well written. Um, so that's that's a favourite. Um, Anything by Arthur C. Clarke, I, I usually read from a kind of hard science fiction perspective, and I really like um, Anne McCaffrey's um, stuff, particularly the Dragon oh, Dragonflight Dragon Dragon series. series. Yes, yeah, I really a... liked the way she characterised yeah, oh. the, the the actors, her stories, and that's been a, quite an inspiration for the way I do mine, I suppose. So, those three are probably my top favourite authors, I think. Yeah, well, 
I'm, so, I'm surprised about the pern thing, but uh, it's nice to know that I've got another. We've got another person who likes dragons in a science fiction environment. Yeah, and she she got a lot of angst over the. Yeah, you know, it's a fantasy story because it's got dragons. They said no, no, no. It's a science fiction story with dragons in it because they were genetically engineered dragons, weren't they? They yes. weren't just magic dragons. Um, they actually can work. So it's it's always an interesting one to explain that one. Um, it seemed to confuse my son when I tried to explain <laughs> it to him. Anyway, fire breathing dragons. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so Saul also asks, um, can we win prizes for spotting references to north, south, east, west, northern, southern, eastern, and western in the Shadeword saga? <laughs> yeah, uh, you can take that up with my editor, who should have spotted all the damn things. But yes, um, yeah, if you if, if you let me know, <laughs> we get in touch with some of those, then I'll um, I'll sort something out for him because they should have all been exterminated. But um, yeah, the funny thing about writing that book actually is, um, you know, stuff like north, south, east, and west, which I you know aren't supposed to happen in that book because there aren't any. Yeah. Um, so ingrained in your psych just because that's the way you describe things yeah. um, it's so hard to avoid them you can't see them when you're writing them and also things like um because because it's set on a planet where there is no day or night it's you know it's tidally locked it doesn't revolve relative to the um you know the, the sun it's facing so you know there is no nighttime daytime uh, interval it's just whatever it is yeah um you know, you can't say things like, oh, tomorrow we'll go and... Oh, no, I can't use tomorrow. Um, oh, the other day when we did... No, we can't do that either. Um, you know, you know, all your conversation, you have to go back and think, well, what's the, what's the equivalent of tomorrow in a world where there isn't a day-night cycle? And you've yeah. got to reinvent... It's really, actually, really hard. And, you know, some of those things just slip through because um, nobody spots them because they're so hard to see. <laughs> so, um, yeah, apologies for any any days and years and north south east west that appear in the shade saga because they shouldn't be there but um unfortunately we're we're fallible human and we didn't eradicate all of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah i must admit sort of um reading through the um uh, recently i've been reading through the lost fleet series again and how the how the guy the author comes up with ways of actually having starboard and and port and up and down actually mean something relevant yeah is 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 quite ingenious so it's 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 a hard balance because you don't want to introduce a whole bunch of new stuff which just is like everyone's going yeah okay well that's the equivalent of you know but you've got to come up with something new just because you've got to come up with something new mm -hmm. but in you know in in this example and in, in the shadewood stuff you know it, it just would not work on that planet because they don't exist so i had to come up with something that was workable but wasn't too intrusive that didn't kind of go oh here's drew showing off his clever <laughs> yeah, every other page. So I tried to limit it quite a bit and only use it sparingly, but you still have to come up with something. And that's the whole point of science fiction to try and explore that. How would you solve that problem when, you know, all some of your standard ways of navigating and telling time just aren't practical anymore? Well, on the subject of navigating through time and um, going back to the early 80s, the other project which oh, yes. Thor and dads really appreciate is, is the, Lords <laughs> of, the Lords of Midnight. The Lords of Midnight, series. yes. Um, well, obviously, I know Chris Wilde, who's who's been who's been doing the uh, conversions, and of course, with, what with Mike Singleton uh, passing away what, five years ago now. Um, yeah, I think it was twenty twelve. Yeah, yeah, so um, very sad. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we've we've been seeing about seventy thousand words through the first book. Yes, just got to seventy k actually just the other day. I think yeah. So. Um, I mean, yeah, good I, progress. Yeah. Are, you, are you planning to have the, the the whole first game in one book, and then maybe yes. move on to Doom Dark's Revenge? 
Yeah, the plan is um, what, what I've worked out with Chris is cause he's sort of the, I suppose, the IP custodian for um, you know, the, the whole of um, Mike Singleton's works, if you like. He, he's, he's in close touch with, the Mike, with Mike Singleton's family. Um, and so he sort of he's got their permission and blessing to, to, to remake computer games and he kind of brokered the the discussions with me when you know when we started talking about writing a book yeah and so i i kind of work with him and if, if basically the, the deal is if he's okay with it then the family's okay with it because they're you know they're not so much into the law of the game yeah you know, they, they're just they're just keen that mike gets recognized for the work that he did which is which is which is absolutely fine um so no, we are the, the the Lords of Midnight book will be the story of the Lords of Midnight game, kind of from beginning to end of you know the the classic game. So yeah, um, you know it it, it 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 if you played the game as the book was, it would it would be an episode of playing the game, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, so you know the entirety of the story of Lords of Midnight the game will will be the book. Um, and then you know if if it goes well, um, I certainly I certainly haven't ruled out there being a Doom Dark's revenge. I'd quite like to do that actually because um, you know in some ways from a storytelling perspective, the Doom Dark scenario is actually a bit easier than the um, the Lords of Midnight one. Ooh, um, you've got a lot more to worry about with different races and so on. You, yeah, you've got the, the thing. The, the biggest problem I've had actually with Lords of Midnight is you've got. Um, you, you've got the Lord of Guard, the, the Lord of Shimmeral, the Lord of uh, Dawn. You've got the Lord of Marakith. You've got the Lord of Kumar. You've got the Lord of Zajagith. <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got the Lord of Ithron. You've got the Lord of Ethrold. You've got the Lord of. <laughs> and all you've got to go on is basically. No, even in this one, there isn't any um, personality descriptions because in, in lots of. Nothing at all. Absolutely no, not. They're just blank no, slates. They are utterly, utterly blank. They're all completely. Basically, you've got um, some. I can't, I can't remember the exact numbers. You've got about 20 lords. I think, yeah, possibly slightly less than that, um, and about ten of the Fey lords, yeah, uh, some of whom are lords and some of whom are not quite lords. There's there's a bit of a picking order that's sort of apparent in the game, depending on whether or not you've got a citadel or a keep. Yeah. Um, and obviously you've got Luxor, you've got or Luxor, how you pronounce it, Morkin, Corleth, and Rothron, and you've got one other um, uh, wizardy type character up in this far north, which is um, Lorgrim. Lorgrim and, the wise, uh, yeah. And there's a few other minor characters, like uh, there's a Skulkrin chap called Falkrin, and there's a dragon. Farflame. Farflame the dragon, that's right. And I think think that's it. Uh, oh, and there's a sort of... He's not a barbarian, but he kind of looks like one. Um, the Utarg of Targ in the Far East. So, um, and, so and, and, and in the game, because of course it's an 8-bit game originally, um, yeah. all you get is Luke's or the Moonprint stands at the keep of whatever, looking east. <laughs> <laughs> and they all do that. Um, so you've got nothing that really distinguishes them at all in the game. There is completely and utterly a blank slate. So I've had to go and think, okay, well, what is Luxor like? What is Morkin like? What's Cortet like? What's Rothron like? What's Farflame like? What's um, How am I going to differentiate between all the lords who are just the lord of XYZ and you know, superficially absolutely identical? Uh, and they you know, from the from the eight bit computer game, I'm sure they share the same piece of code, because they're just characters you move around. They don't have a personality in the game at all, no. other than the only thing that kind of really gives them a character is their name. Um, so guard, um, you know, I, I had a little bit of a play with him, since you know he's quite a, you know, not 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 being funny, but he's quite a guarded character. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, that that sort of started to evolve. Well, what's he going to be like? Well, he's going to be quite standoffish. He's going to be quite proud, perhaps a bit aloof, quite used to being in charge of things. Yeah. Um, and so, and then you got Lord Blood. Well, he sounds like a kind of guy who's going to be up for fight to me. Um, yeah, and he's he's very very close to, you know, where the bad guys come from. So he's going to be used to having a Barney with them. So he's going to be quite a, you know, uh, uh, you know a bit. A bit of a scrappy, sort of Gimli, son of Gloiny type, you know. Basically um, uh, Scottish, axe, is, you know. is what you're on yeah, about. Yeah, basically Scottish, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then you've got, you know, the Shimmerall is, is a major citadel not too far away. So I kind of had the idea of maybe they're kind of best buddies and they always fight together in alongside wars. Maybe they spar a bit with each other, you know, mm. well, you're, you're, you, 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 you killed six or I killed ten or whatever it happens to be, you know, and... Um, and and then from there you start to develop you know character traits and things for the different lords in in the game and try and give them a little bit of personality because what I wanted was oh when somebody's talking oh that's Shimmerall because I recognise the way he talks from before and you know each character therefore has a little bit of, of you know personality in there so that's probably been one of the hardest things to do because you've got a massive cast of individuals that you kind of all got to do justice to in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, differentiate between them. It's a bit. It's a little bit the same with um, the um, the Hobbit movie, um, you know, with all the dwarves. Yes. Um, trying to differentiate, <laughs> give them give them a bit of screen time. You know, each um, that must have been quite difficult because it's quite hard to remember all the dwarves in in the Hobbit. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're quite right. I mean, did you ever play the uh, the multiplayer version of Lords of Midnight? I haven't. It's, it's on my list of things to do, but no, I haven't done that yet. Ah, yeah, well, okay, well, <laughs> no point discussing it because basically okay. that, was, that was one of my uh, <laughs> one of my uh, uh, little guilty pleasures was also getting my ass kicked by so my so many other people at that. Which is <laughs> <laughs> happening to me a lot, a little dangerous at the moment as well. Yeah, so no, no matter. We're not brilliant at playing games at our age, are we? Enjoy the experience, but reactions are going. <laughs> That's true. And, and you know the other thing with with Lords of Midnight, I suppose, is that is the landscape is quite you know it's it's a frozen wasteland. So um, and there's only so many times you can say um, he walks down the you know the howling windy corridors of the Citadel and gazes over the frozen landscape. <laughs> and you're kind of think, I've got to do something different this time. Uh, is it a, it's a landscape that's frozen? It, there's there's ice. Um, there's snow. There's it's cold. Um, um, uh, it's frosty. Uh, <laughs> There was a stiff breeze blow. You know, it, it's you know there isn't. You, you've got to stay true to the game, and and there isn't a lot of variety in some of the places. So I'm I'm having to improvise quite a bit on that sort of stuff. But so far, I seem to be getting the balance right. I mean, Chris has pulled me up on a few things, saying no, you know, in a, in a slightly David Braben-esque sort of. <laughs> don't get carried away now. Um, and but you know, we've also got the benefit of uh, that Mike Singleton had put a whole bunch of lorry stuff together for some of the games that he never finished oh. in the night stuff so um you know we've got the we've got the citadel and we've got some of his work on the blood march and some of the other stuff that he was going to put together as background law for some of the other games we've got access to that so we're we're sort of so we're sort of seasoning lords of midnight with with um you know um some of the stuff that's happened around the realms of midnight yeah and we've also improvised on some of the material where there's just a gap right now Mm -hmm. um as to why why would that be and you know, 
um, Chris actually asked Mike some of these questions, and he basically said, "Well, you make it up, Chris. You're much better than me. <laughs> you're oh, much better at this than me, yeah, than I am. I haven't got an answer for that one. You know, I'm sure you'll come up with something clever. So we're now in a situation where we can fill in some of those blanks with what we think makes sense, um, and and just try and make it slightly richer than it currently is. But um, yeah, you know, so that's that's quite fun. It's quite creative, and we had some good conversations batted back and forth about that and it allows us to kind of embed those bits and pieces into the into the story and make it a little bit more interesting so yeah. um yeah so that's 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 been quite an interesting challenge as well a bit different from the elite dangerous world but um you know it's still a an interesting piece of um kind of law to be to be involved in i suppose so no eye of the moon <laughs> well never say never no <laughs> well, it's just it's a long way down the road at the moment though but, oh i know uh, so, um, yeah, and it, um, it 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 really depends on how well received the book is because um, if if folks love it, yeah, and and there, there is a a reasonably side Lords of Midnight community still out there. I mean, it's not not as big as the Elite one, obviously, no. um, but um, you know there, there is a, there is a small fan base over it. And I've and I've written it deliberately to stand up on its own as a sort of standalone fantasy novel, so it should be quite you know if if people like Lords of the Ringsy Hobbity. Um, stuff, <laughs> you know, they're going to, they should enjoy Lords of Midnight. It's a, it's um, yeah. the, the, you know, we, we've kind of given it a certain flavour, um, and you know, Lords of Midnight. If you're if you're cruel to it, was a was a rip off of Lords of the Rings in 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 in, in its design and its style, yeah. um, you know, with with, with a different kind of a different kind of flavour on it, really. Um, but oddly enough, obviously on the spectrum. Um, where it originally came out, it, it was a better game, I think, than the official conversions of of Lords of the Rings, anyway, <laughs> which is probably why people remember it so fondly. Well, funny you should mention that. I was, that was just the point that I was going to bring up. So, oh, right, because <laughs> <laughs> I remember being being very, very uh, frustrated by the fact that I could never win it until I found where the the lake or the or the dragon yes. would do. Or yep. I, will I cut that out of due to spoilers? <laughs> No, no, that's fine. I think. Well, I mean, the thing is, that most people know the ending of the game and how it's done. It's, it's, it's the journey, I suppose. That's yeah, you know, that's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But it's the journey counts more than the destination. Which I suppose could take us quite neatly back to premonition. Yes, I suppose it does. Yeah. <laughs> so even though everybody knows how it's going to end, it's more, more the journey. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more. Uh, I mean, there's, there's lots of. Um, you know, to kind of whet people's appetites, I was able to delve into some of the power play stuff as a result. So we get to meet, you know, people like Patrius or Patrius, whatever his name is. Yeah. We get to meet Ashling and we get to meet Arissa um, and we get to meet um, um, Hudson yeah. and, you know, the Alliance chap, um, Edmund. Yeah. You know, we get to meet them in person and, and get a bit more up close and personal with them, see what they're like as people. You know, Frontier gave me permission to effectively define their characters in a little, you know, a lot more detail for the purposes of writing them into the story. So we've got that. We get the mystery of what's going on behind, and and the you know the book will allow people to speculate still on what actually is going on mm-hmm. and, and come to their own conclusions. So obviously, Salome and her her trials are in there. Some of those people will have seen but for an awful lot of galnet and an awful lot of elite dangerous um you know in the player activity last year she was affected you know she was missing presumed dead for most of it mm-hmm. she was she was you know she was accused of the trial and um you know she didn't reappear i think until march this year um 
Yeah. So for a long time, she was out of the game, out of the story from the perspective of the players anyway. So other stuff was going on at that point. But she obviously wasn't in the book. So what was she doing? Well, that's in the book um, and, and lots of other stuff. And, and the other characters from Reclamation, you know, you've got my um, despicable political pair of patrons there in there. Um, and, um, you know, Luko and Hassan have, have been up to stuff as well. So all that is in there. Plus, of course, there's the massive gamut of the player characters who got who did stuff that was notable enough to be written into the story as well. So quite a lot of the minor factions are represented. Um, you know, the CGs are in there that you know, people took part in. The discoveries of the barnacles and you know, the first sighting of the Thargoid alien ship. Um, and, and what happened as a result there is a reference to mugs in there um, <laughs> uh, you'll be pleased to know that Hutton Orbital there is a scene at Hutton Orbital in the book um, so uh, quite an important one actually as well halfway through the book um, uh, there's a meeting at Hutton Orbital which um, has, has some big ramifications on how the plot turned out so um, so yeah so lots of kind of lorey stroke player significant locations and events are in there which i think people will find you know great fun hopefully to read and that that's really the aim obviously of the book is to is to entertain but also to tell people yeah this is what was actually going on while you were doing that and hopefully you'll go oh when i was oh shit that was happening when i was you know yeah. <laughs> you know you'll be part of that and you'll see some of the stuff that you took part in um either vicariously or actually directly in depending on who you were um so you know that, that's that's really the fun of it all to be honest well, um, I, I think that that nicely ties <laughs> up the the whole situation. Although I must personally thank you for uh, exposing the fact that someone wears a blue wig. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I must admit that was one of the funniest funnest scenes I had to write because um, you know I I thought well I can have a bit of fun because uh, according to the character guide, Ashling is twenty six. And Salome was 28 at the time, so they're you know two relatively young, self-important women, both you know quite strong characters, both vying to be centre of attention. You know that that was just a delight to write that scene. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, there's a little bit of an inclination, you know, in, in, intimation of what happened in the in the Galnet article that refers to it, but there's a lot more detail of, of what happened between Salome and Ashling in the. Um, in the book, which was which was great fun. <laughs> well, on that moment, we will say thank you very much, Senator Drew. And thank you very much. Um, yeah, thank you very much, Colin. And, and again, thanks to all the players in the community out there. I mean, I, I must admit, I felt a, a, a little bit bruised after <laughs> after some of the stuff. But you know, I know ultimately it's you know it's it's down to the passion people feel for the game. And and uh, if you know my my involvement with with Elite. You know, uh, uh, for the second time round at the moment is 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 done for now. But yeah, you know, I had a blast. I hope everybody enjoys the book for what it is. It's it's not a big financial undertaking. I don't expect to be J.K. Rowling at the end of it. Um, you know, if if you're into it, no buy it, enjoy it. No, no I mean it's <laughs> it's all frontiers stuff. You know, it's their copyright. Uh, yeah. Nothing to do with me. Um, you know, I I wrote it because I I love the game. I love the idea, and and you know I wanted to tell a good story. And at the end of the day, I wanted to hopefully entertain people. That's that's really what the objective is all about. And if if people have fun and enjoy the experience, great. Um, you know, if I get a chance to come back once again in the future, then um, you know we'll we'll see you out in the void, commanders. But um, you know, thanks for thanks for being with me along the way, and obviously thanks to you guys for for having me on the show once more. It's uh, it's very much appreciated. Uh, you're quite welcome, Troy. And as we finally approach uh, Lave Station, uh, please be aware that when we do dock, don't trip over that wrench. Whatever you do, <laughs> just do not trip over that wrench. You'll get cursed. I 
<laughs> I shall I shall pick up my imperial robes of state and disembark um, with great pomp and circumstance. Yeah, we we did try and clean it up a bit at least. You still haven't got rid of the the, the squeak on the seal tip control. Uh, no, it's the fuzzy days. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Drew. You take it easy, Mark. Thank you Cheers. very much indeed. Two seconds, I'll be right back.